2: Hey everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of All Too Real 2.
1: Two. Hello.
2: My name is Michael E. Cullen II, 2nd, and with me via Facebook Messenger through the technology of the interwebs of the internet, the 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 great thing that was created by Al Gore. Oh wait, no. He didn't he never said that. Mm. <laughs> Nope, no, he didn't. He never said that.
0: (laughs) He never said that. That was a yeah propaganda.
2: Uh (laughs) Um, anyways, uh, how are you
0: today, Matthew? I'm doing okay, I guess. You guess? I guess so. Whatever. Yeah.
2: Well, (laughs) I uh had the pleasure the other day of talking to. Jim O'Hare, who uh, people will know from his portrayal of uh, Jerry Gergich on um, Parks and Recreation, the seven-year-long television series that aired on NBC. Mm -hmm. Yes. (coughs) It was a great interview. Um, Very fun, funny guy. Um, Just... Just a joy to talk to, honestly. More than anything, I don't know. We talked about a lot of cool things about his career and uh, the world in general,
0: and about life, and about the universe, and about um uh, life. Yes, the cereal. Oh wait, no, we didn't talk about that. Oh, okay. A life cereal is good. You didn't talk about life. Well, technically, you did because everything's part of life. So yes, everything's part of so, cereal. Yeah, uh, cereal. Yeah, kind of. Yes, we're all we're all just living in a cereal bowl right now, and God hasn't put his cereal in yet and hasn't eaten us yet. So
2: we're just two you lost souls swimming in a cereal bowl year after year.
0: <laughs> yes. No, um, um, what? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not high. I, I swear I'm not high. I'm not uh, either. <laughs> I'm, I'm just tired, and
2: I'm I got a. Me too. I got a punch drunk
0: love. Wait, no, that's a movie. And um, a punch. <laughs> yeah, it's a good. Yeah, it a good movie. Yes. It's, it's it's one it's one like one of the good Sand Sandman movies. One of the good ones. Mm-hmm. One uh-huh. of the good ones. <clears throat> yes, <Yeah>, Happy Halloween. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Yep. <laughs> so um, so, anyways, um, Jim O'Hare, yeah, he tells us a lot about his, uh, you know, history and all the great things. And he's basically, if, if you haven't seen Parks and Recreation, you have seen Jim O'Hare in something. Because he's guest starred in, like, every sitcom of the, like, 90s there were and the early 2000s as well. So not to mention a lot of other things and done several movies, including one we talk about, um, which I will try to uh, find a link to, called Middleman, which uh, he did um, back in 2017, which sounds amazing, and I got to check it out soon, so, and you guys all should too. But right now, here is my interview with Jim O'Hare. Uh, just to start things off, how are you dealing with all the stuff in the world right now with the what 2020 has brought us?
1: yeah it's weird i really was looking forward to 2020 i really i love the number 2020 i'm an even number kind of guy for whatever reason i'm that guy and i thought 2020 just sounds really cool yeah so i was on board for 2020 barely on board and it began out it, it began great uh i'd been recurring on a show and we did a whole bunch of episodes in january and february i went to uh what did i do i went to Denver and I skied for the first time in 30 years and I did really well. Like shockingly, I just assumed <laughs> I'd be in a body cast by the end of the day and I wasn't. Um so it just felt like, okay, 2020, you're everything I thought you were gonna be. And then this little thing called a pandemic. Yeah. Came out of nowhere and it just it just <laughs> knocked it all down. Um and also I don't know how political your interviews get, but I am uh I'm a political guy, and what's been happening, you know, in the past four years has had me terrified. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> now we're coming down. Yeah, I mean, just just beyond uh, to think that there's people who think to have this crazy man in charge is okay, I'll never understand, but whatever, That's, people can do whatever they want. Uh, so I've been doing everything I can to make, you know, I've been doing sending out things and doing <laughs> charities, all sorts of stuff uh, to do my part to help make this nightmare end. Yeah. So yeah, politically and then with the pandemic, it's been a shit show.
2: Yeah. Just been a shit show. Yeah, it's can't wait for it to be over and hopefully the pandemic ends sometime sooner than later. But I'm kinda worried about it. But yeah, with the with the way like like you said, with the way that uh you know the president has been dealing with it and everything is not really necessarily the
1: best either. So Well he hasn't been dealing with it. Yeah, that's That's the the problem. problem. He he has other countries have dealt with it, you know. Please, I don't want to go on a rant, but yeah. had we done what was necessary, this would all be behind us, or at least close to being behind us. We're just beginning. From what I mm-hmm. read yesterday, we're, the wave is hitting again. And yeah. Anyway, I can go on and on. I'm just <laughs> praying. I'm literally praying to God. Oh yeah. November third changes everything. So we'll yeah. see. Hopefully uh, the only time will tell. But uh, I am hopeful. I will say that. But I was also hopeful four years ago. Yeah, and I got quite the surprise. So, yeah. All of us I did. leave nothing to chance. Now. Yeah. So, um,
2: uh, now, now uh, on uh, like better subjects uh, about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. pretty much yeah. yeah. um, anything else is yeah. better. So yeah, go for it. Um, so, uh, just uh, for uh, my listeners, um, what uh,
1: how did you uh, get started in um, in entertainment? It was weird. I went to uh, my embarrassing story that I do tell is when I left high school, I was a pretty good student. Um, I I always say, I think I was in the top 10% of my class. So no genius, but you know, a good student. So of course I expected to go to college. Certainly my family expected me to. So that was the plan, but I did not have a clue what I wanted to do. I mean, not a clue. So I went to college and I declared that I was going to be an accountant. Now, people would be like, well, why are you doing that? The only reason I said it was because some of my buddies said they were going to be accountants. (laughs) So I was basing my career on what, you know, my buddy had. It was ridiculous. So it got to the chase. I go to college for that. Thankfully, I went to Loyola in Chicago. And thankfully, college did exactly what it's supposed to do. I started taking other things that interested me. And I started working at the radio station at Loyola. It was called... uh, W L U W, I believe that was it, and it only had like a twelve block radius, so it can only be heard. You know, I don't know how many people could have even heard it. Uh, but I really, I was like, damn, I I kind of really like this. So next thing you know, I, that's where I put my sights, and uh, I went. And got at the time, you used to have to get a license to become a, a DJ, so I went to a broadcasting school and I did that, and then I got my first job and some little. Town in Indiana called uh, Rensselaer. (laughs) And I was the kind of mid morning guy, and it was awful and wonderful all at the same time. They paid me, I'll never forget, when I got after taxes and everything, my first check, you work 60 hours a week and I made $120 take home. Wow. Now, (laughs) yeah, my rent was for something. So do the math on that. It just doesn't work. No. Uh, But I, oh, well, just paying dues and whatever. The guy who owned it was crazy. He'd punch holes in walls, but that. So, as much as there was a lot of negatives, I learned so much, and there were there were some great people that I did work with. So, one time, it's the, a weird little thing. Uh, the secretary came in during one of the commercial breaks and said, "Some guys on the phone wants to talk to you." And it was a little town, so it could be someone you know who we had uh, radio spots with. It could have been anybody. So I said, you know, "I said, yeah, okay." So I talked to the guy, and he goes. My daughter goes to the college nearby, so I listen to you when I drive in and out. I think you're really funny, and if you ever, you know, look to change things up, you should consider Second City in Chicago. It was just like this nice little conversation. Uh, Of course, I'd heard of Second City. It's iconic. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, thank you, thank you, whatever, and that was it. So about a year later, it was time to leave. I'm like, okay, this has been crazy. Uh, I learned a lot. Now it's time to move on. And that conversation stuck with me. And I went uh, I went to Chicago, back to Chicago, and I started taking classes at Second City. And like I can tell you, I, I know the exact moment where I mean, it's too dramatic to say my life changed. But uh, I do know the moment when I first stay in class. And in the old days, you used to train on the stage that they performed where Belushi had performed and, uh, you know, Murray and, and all the big piece. Yeah never forget I got on that stage for the first time and I got my first laugh and this like feeling of I don't even know just something came over me and I was like oh god I oh this is what I want this this is what I'm looking for and never ever thinking it would pay a bill I mean how how the hell would that ever happen but I knew I loved it I knew I loved it so I kind of immersed myself in classes there and then down the road six of us just kind of formed our own little world called white noise. It was just these six little white kids and we formed our own world and we started doing our own comedy shows and they started getting a lot of attention in Chicago. So that was really exciting. And then I realized I'm really liking this whole, cause we did a lot of written sketches. It wasn't just improv. And I was really liking the acting part of it. So then I started taking acting classes and then I started auditioning at other legit theaters in Chicago and, next thing you know, they're casting me in this, they're casting me in that. And I knew I had found what I wanted to do. But again, (laughs) not thinking it would ever pay my bills Uh, because theater in Chicago is amazing. There's so much great theater in Chicago, but it's, you know, even if you're an equity member, you know, a union member there, it's, it's a tough living. You know, it's not, you know, the dream is if you're going to do that in Chicago, that you would get your car, your equity card, you get to do two or three shows a year, maybe a commercial would come through during the year. or But it was tough. So it seemed like that was either going to be a hobby for me or if I was going to be taking serious, I should try Los Angeles. And at the time, I was also working a full-time job during the day to pay the bills because certainly theater wasn't paying them. Um, and so we had done this crazy, crazy show in Chicago called Stumpy's Game. And it had blood and puppets, and I got killed in an incinerator. And I'm screaming. I ate ten Twinkies every show. Oh, jeez. it was so <laughs> ridiculous that I can't even begin to tell you. But pretty cool too. Like for the time, really amazing. Like we would shoot. Uh, I would run off stage. I'd sh- a screen would pop up, and I'd be a cartoon. I mean, it was it was intense. It was really for the time. I mean, nowadays people can do that stuff with their iPhones, you know. Yeah. But we're talking. Wow, when was that? That was 90, around 90. Around, so, wow, 30 years ago. Dear God. <laughs> but anyway, so for the time, it was pretty uh, pretty high tech, you know, and this show became a cult thing in Chicago where people were lined up waiting to get in, and it ran forever, and it was pretty cool. So we decided, let's give it a shot in L.A. If there's ever a crazy enough town that might do it, it's L.A. Mm-hmm. Plus, some of us had wanted to try L.A. anyway. So we loaded up the truck and we moved to Beverly because we literally, uh, my friend Pat and I put everything we have in a truck, some big Hertz Penske truck, uh, including the sets for the show. And we just hauled our butts out to Los Angeles. Uh, somebody had set us up with an apartment as far as, you know, so because I didn't know anything about LA. I don't know. You know, I didn't, I knew nothing. So, uh, we brought the show out to LA and. It did the same thing it did in Chicago. It just took off. And the gift for me that happened was because it was very much, it was me with puppets, basically. There were two other humans in it, but they were kind of just in and out real quick where my role was, I, I was you know the lead role in this thing. And because of this, because it was getting attention, agents started coming to the show. Because the toughest part in LA, when you move here, is getting a damn agent or getting a manager, somebody who can represent you. Because without that representation... You can't get an audition. I mean, it's, it's that catch 22. They're like, well, what have you done for me lately? Well, what can I do for you? If I can't get a chance to do it. You know, it's that whole bat, You know, it's ages old. Everyone many have dealt with it, but the miracle for me was they would come and see the show and then I'd get phone calls saying, would I meet with them? And so within, um, I think the show opened, I'm going to say, oh gosh, October. I feel like we were going to go October until the holidays we ended up going till March and so by the time the show was ended I had an agent and I was ready to go. And they sent me out and I started booking pretty quickly. And I the 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 blessing, whatever you want to call it for me, is that since the day I moved here, August fourth, nineteen ninety four, I've never had to do anything other than be an actor to pay my bills. Now, that being said, some years were rough as hell. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it was not all like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some years were rough, but in general, there was always enough. Yeah. There was always enough, and then I was, you know, I, you know, I was. They used to tease that I was king of the guest stars. I had been on like all these different shows, and <laughs> and then a show like Parks comes along, and and that kind of changes everything, because now you have a gig that ran for seven years, that changes everything. So that's how it all kind of happened
2: out of chicago yeah i know uh i know there are times when i'm watching an old sitcom or something and i'll see you pop up and i'll be like oh that's jim o'hare you know something like you know i i, I, think,
1: I, know I see that yeah I of did. Time. it was either kimmel or um i don't know sal and one of the um i don't anyway. one of the talk shows the first thing they said to me is jim what show haven't you been on because <laughs> It really got you know, and believe me, I love, it was great. I, I became the guy that people would see me on the street and go, oh, you look so familiar because, yeah. And I always thought that's a good career. Like if you're, people think you look familiar, that means you're working enough that you're out in front of their faces. And of course that parks happens. And then now it's, you know, craziness. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But <laughs> so I was very lucky. I, I did a lot of shows before parks. Yeah.
2: Um, speaking of parks, um, How did the uh, audition process
1: go for that? Dude, let me tell you, the word came out. Amy Poehler was getting, at the time, it was called the Untitled Amy Poehler Project. It didn't have a title. You know, it didn't have Parks and Rec at that time. And so, you know, everybody, it was, we knew it was going to be a hot show because NBC said, it's not going to be a pilot. We're going to make six of them. So they were already showing confidence. And Amy had just come off SNL all those years. And of course, she's, you know, crazy talented. So everybody wanted in. The producers really had a, a really good idea of who they wanted for certain characters from the beginning. But the network said, we have to, you got to give us lots of choices. So they saw everybody. So I went in and read for Ron Swanson, oh, wow. which is so ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the thought of anyone other than Nick Offerman playing Ron Swanson is so silly that I can't, it's just, <laughs> anyway. we all know what he yeah. did with that role. Uh, But that's what happened. And I mean, I walked into that audition area. There were faces you knew from shows, people that you've seen for years. This was a hot property. So I do the audition. uh, And here's the thing. And I always tell you know people when I give talks to young actors trying to come up. The one thing I always say, and it's something I've lived by, I did it in Chicago. I've done it since I've been here in L.A. I never, ever walk into a room unprepared because you don't know what they're going to be doing down the road. Many, Most times, I can walk in a room, and I'm not right for the role, and I walk in, and visually, they're like, oh, no, this isn't going to work, even if I give them the greatest performance ever. But if I do give them the greatest performance ever, when a role comes up that they can see me in, I'm going to be at the front of the line. And so that was my only goal that day. I wanted to do a good audition. And believe me, I also say this. As much as I say I've never gone in unprepared, I've never I have screwed up. I mean, I have screwed up auditions like you can't believe. I've gotten my head when I got there or uh one time I'll never forget I walk in and there's Ron Howard. And it just threw me. It just <laughs> took me out of my space of, you know, because I was, you know, in my actor mode, I was ready to go and I walk in and there he is and he couldn't have been kinder. He couldn't have been more gracious, but it it just threw me off. And so I did a terrible audition I've seen him since, and we have joked about it, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, so so my only goal that day was to do the, my best version of what I thought Ron Swanson was going to be and do a good audition. So I, I go in and I do that, and I had some fun conversation with uh, the producers because also I knew these producers were from the office. And I thought, you know what? They're going to be putting guest stars. They're going to have guest stars. These people are going to have other shows down the road. I just want to impress them. That's all. Mm-hmm. So I leave, and I thought, yeah, you'll never get this, but I uh, I think you made a couple of people who think you are you got something going on. So I would say probably two weeks later, I, I could be wrong about the timeline, we could get a call and my agent calls me and says, you got uh, they want to see you again for Parks and Recreation for a different role. I want to know if you'd consider the role of Jerry. And I said, well, yeah, of course. So they send me the material and I go in a couple of days later, same thing. I go into the waiting room, And there's all these faces again. And I could tell they don't know what they want because there's big guys, there's little guys, there's tall guys, there's fat guys, there's skinny guys. There's like, everybody is there, uh, which happens a lot. Like they haven't figured out the character yet themselves. So I go in and um, I do it. And, you know, again, hopefully to the best of my ability, we had a great conversation, just BSing. Um, I knew Steve Carell, who was on the office. Uh, in Chicago. One of the last voiceover gigs I did was with Corral. So we were chatting about Steve and just laughing about different things. So apparently what happened, I found out later, I didn't know this. When I left the room, uh, Greg Daniels said to Mike Short, let's put a desk. it'll work out. Now I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that (laughs) I had left that room with the job. Uh, But about a week later, I get a call from my agent. They said, you know, they want to offer you the role of Jerry in Parks and Recreation. But it was not a series regular, and they were very honest. They said, we don't know what's going to happen with this character. It might feel like nothing, and maybe nothing will happen, and then he'll be gone. We just don't know. But we have six characters, because at the time, the regulars were Leslie Nope, Ron Swanson, uh, April Ludgate, uh, Tom uh, Who else was there? Oh, oh and Perkins. Who else am I forgetting? Uh, oh, and Paul Brandanowicz. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Paul, uh, Art Brandanowitz, Paul Schneider. So those are your six regulars. And yeah. you have to cater to them. Those are your regulars. So my agent said to me, you know, you might not want to do this because you might end up feeling like you're doing background work. And believe me, there's nothing wrong with background work. But at that point in my career, yeah, I, I wouldn't be doing background work. I, I'm a guest star. I don't even, I, at that point, I wasn't even doing co stars. I don't think it was either a guest star or a lead role. So, uh, but to me, it took no time at all because this is, you guys, remember what they did to those characters on The Office Kevin, Malone, Phyllis, uh, Stanley, like all these amazing side characters. So I thought, I got to take this risk. There's, to me, there was no downside because also they were paying me like a guest star every week. So I thought, wow. well, if they want me to sit around and, and pay me a guest star money, I'm good. You know, and then if they dump me, they dump me and then it, you know, whatever. Uh, but I'll never forget after, because we did, so we did the first six episodes and I get a call, we're, we're totally done shooting. And I get a call and they said, uh, the network needs some promo stuff uh, to and stuff for beginning and ending of the episodes. Uh, everyone's out of town. Uh, we were thinking you and Amy could do something together Uh, What if we threw something together, would you be available? Well, yeah. Well, it it turns out that was kind of my big audition that I didn't even know about to become a series regular because they put me and Amy in a forest with some kids and they just let us improv. And you know, Amy's the queen. So believe me, I can't think I could compete with her, but I held my own. We had a lot of laughs and apparently that day they were like, yeah, he needs to stick around. So by the next season, I don't know, by episode three, they had already given me my own episode. And so all of a sudden, the next thing, you know, I'm a series regular. Because, you know, at first, I wasn't, Retta wasn't, Chris Pratt wasn't. um, uh, My God, Adam Scott and uh, Rob Lowe weren't even there at that point. So there was still a lot of changes happening. And the show, for diehard fans, they know that there were big changes from season one to season two. Yeah, it you feel, know, feels it, like a different show in some ways. Feels yeah. like a different show and I and and it's kind of bad cuz I tell people cuz I love season 1. There's great stuff in yeah. there. But I do tell people start with season 2, go back to the season 1 cuz yeah. You'll, you'll you know what I'm saying. You know cuz what happened they they admitted it. Uh, Leslie was coming across too much like um uh Michael uh you know from the office. Yeah. And that's was never the goal. That was no. so. It looked like oh, it's a ripoff, and we don't need that. And anyway, so but by the season two, they you know they pieced it all together. Yeah, and it found its found its own voice, and it wasn't. It
2: found its yeah. voice. Yeah. Do you have dreams that you want to achieve but are scared to do so due to self doubt, fear, and other people's criticism? I have just what you need. You need a dose of the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, where I interview guests that will motivate and inspire you to stop at nothing to achieve your dreams. And always remember if you believe, you can achieve. The Living the Dream with Curveball podcast
1: is available on your favorite podcast app.
0: Hey, everybody, why don't you give the old Black Lincoln Collective podcast a listen? We're funny. We're fat, and we're here 24-7 at blcpodcast.com. Anytime you want to listen, anywhere, all your favorite podcast apps. Of course, we have a YouTube channel where you can stream live with the show. Check out our shorts. We're funnier the less you hear of us. That's been a Black League and Collective Podcast at blcpodcast.com.
2: What's been your like favorite uh, time acting in anything so far like that you've done?
1: Well... God, it sounds so pathetic, but Parks, it lasted seven years. Yeah. Now, I am, uh, you'll be shocked to hear this, Mike, but I am 58. Now, I know you're thinking I'm 30, 35. No, I am 58. <laughs> uh, and like we said, I've done a lot of shows before Parks. I've done many shows yeah. after. And um, I'm so lucky. I'm like the luckiest guy because I love what I do. I love it more than you can even believe. You put Jim O'Hare on a set and you have a happy Jim O'Hare. It's just who I am. It, I told you, I found what I love when I found it and, and whatever. That being said, each show is different and each set is different. The The lead of the show kind of sets the tone. Yeah. Like so. you have a lead who's walks in and kind of a crabby person or whatever. It just kind of trickles down, trickles down, trickles down. We had Amy Poehler who is, you know yes she's funny and talented and pretty but all the all the basics we even know about her she's also incredibly kind and incredibly caring and that is what our set was for seven years never in seven years did I hear a raised voice on, other than when I say that I mean the first AD okay back to what I mean yeah normal raise what I mean I never heard a raised voice out of frustration or anger in seven years. I have been on shows for one week where I'm like, holy crap, these people are going to kill each other. You know what I mean? So I've seen it the other way. So Parks, because of the length of it, seven years of knowing that that's what I had every day, the crew, that's family. You know, you're together 10, 14 hours a day, depending on what you're shooting. And I always knew how much I loved it when uh, one day, you know, every week, the week before the, the next week that you're going to shoot an episode, you get your day of days, which shows what days you'll be working because we shot single camera, which you didn't always have to be there. And I didn't like the days I had off. I was like, Oh damn, I'm off on Thursday. But <laughs> I got paid either way. I was a series regular. So I should have been thrilled. Like, Hey, I'm off. I I wanted to be there. So it has to be parks. Yeah. It has to be parks. Now there, I've had other individual experiences that have been so amazing And so incredible. But I say parks because of the duration of wonderfulness. I mean, seven years of that's kind of unheard of. Yeah. um, Did you uh, could you tell like early on
2: that the show was going to have like a following or did you think it would not last that long?
1: I didn't think it was going to last. And the only reason I say that is because after the first six, we got a lot of flack. You know, because, oh, it's the office. It's just, it's just a ripoff of the office and all that kind of stuff. And so we're like, are people going to stick with us? And let me tell you, we fought every year to stay on the air. We always thought we were being canceled. And then Amy found out, she didn't tell us till afterward, thank God. Amy found out that after our fourth season, the big muckety mucks were on a plane leaving New York. By the time they were up in the air, we were canceled. We were off the schedule. By the time they landed, we were back on. So we technically had been canceled for a very <laughs> brief time. They never shared it with any of us because it never officially happened. But they pulled us for that flight for whatever reason. Um, and also, we were originally with a different president of the network. And when a new guy comes in, it's very normal. They want their own stamp. And we weren't Greenblatt stamp. Yeah. But – I think what happened, the reason we survived, we became critical darlings. I mean, we, you know, Newsweek called us the show of the year. We won a Peabody Award. Um, I think if he had pulled us just to put his own stamp on things, it would have looked really bad. I that's just my opinion. Yeah. I don't know what was in his head, but I think it would have looked really bad that he pulled us when we are, you know, this critical darling. And then It turns out we were um, one of the it's funny because I've heard Jerry Seinfeld tell the story too. Seinfeld stayed on the air because, you know, at first they were, I think, the very last on the rating. They were just terrible, Um, but they did well in households of one hundred thousand dollars or more. So they were good to advertisers like that's a good advertiser market. Well, it turns out we were, too we were uh people who were watching apparently made you know had good householding things so i think between that and the fact that we were the critical darling with the press i don't think he could pull us that doesn't mean every year we didn't sweat it out cuz we Sorry. sweated it out every year we'd be on texting each other what have you heard what and amy you know cuz we'd all be looking at amy well what do you know what cuz you guys haven't heard anything cuz you know i'm thinking she's getting the first call um <laughs> but our, our our producer mike shore who co-created it He'd be texting with us, you guys, you know, the second I hear you. Anyway, so it was a yearly thing. I think out of seven seasons, there were uh, it's possibly three, but definitely two that we knew we were coming back. And let me tell you, there is nothing better than when you're on your summer hiatus <laughs> knowing you have a job to go to. Yeah, it's funny how you travel a little more, you spend a little <laughs> more, you know. Because otherwise, are we coming back? Am I going to have a paycheck in December? You know, in January. Anyway, so um, it, yeah. it was crazy. We never, other than, I'm pretty sure it was just two seasons. Other than two seasons, we sweated every single year. Yeah, Mike sure has, uh, pun intended, uh, become a uh,
2: pretty, uh, pretty, uh, you know prolific uh, lately too i mean i think he's
1: he's probably one of the best writers in television and uh i think he's brilliant and i don't use that word on a lot of people yeah i think he's brilliant and i'll tell you the reason parks and believe me people who are listening could totally disagree with this but that's fine (laughs) most shows because i'm a big tv guy um some of my favorite series there can be a there can be a wall like oh that was a tough season or yeah or just the show just kind of went downhill and I was kind of done with it or whatever. In my opinion, Parks never had a bad season, no. and the reason I say that is because Mike Shore never left us. What normally happens is once a show is a hit, the producers are offered everything. Other you know, other uh, you know. They're getting offers from all over. Give us this. Give us that. NBC even. Give us, you know, whatever. So Mike did do that. He did Brooklyn Nine-Nine with Dan Gore, who was one of our guys. But he let Dan Gore go with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he stayed with us. And that is why I think we never lost the quality. Yeah. Because there's a lot of shows. And I understand why showrunners take off. They've done a series. Now they're in their fourth season, and they're like, I want something new. I I totally get why they leave. Yeah. But Mike didn't. He never left us. And that, to me, is why the show stayed so strong. Because even though we had incredible writers, I mean, incredible writers, Mike's voice was still there. You know what I mean? He, a script wouldn't be put out that he didn't have a final say over. Yeah. Um,
2: speaking of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, too, your uh, guest appearance on that show was great. A uh, couple episodes. was so, so much fun. Yeah. I, yeah. I watch that show a lot lately. I I go through phases where I watch a different show to fall asleep to. And Brooklyn, Brooklyn nine, nine has been the one lately. And I've probably probably seen that episode, the episodes with you probably, uh, at
1: least 10 times now. So, yeah, (laughs) well, it was so great. Dan calls me and goes, listen, I have an idea. Would you want to play a Southern sheriff? And the thing, the thing with Dan, Dan and I have a special relationship because Dan is the guy at the time who wrote the episode, that they found out who Jerry was. And that's the episode when we were playing the game in the office about finding dirt on each other. I believe, uh, what's his name, was the guest star at the time. Uh, he was dating Leslie. You know the comic, got in all the trouble. Oh, um, Louis C.K.? Louis C.K.? Yeah. And, uh, and apparently, and Jerry didn't want to play the game because he thought it just seemed a little mean or whatever. But eventually he gets plays along and then Mark (laughs) comes walking by and he goes, Oh, I hear you have two unpaid parking tickets. Like, who gives a crap? You know? And he goes, Oh, well I heard your adoptive mother smokes pot. And he could see I was horrified. And I says, You didn't know she smoked pot. And I'm like, I didn't know I was adopted. And that's when they that's when they said, Okay, that's who he is. Yeah. That's who he is. (laughs) Now maybe something else would have happened and we would have figured something else out, but that's what did take. And uh, that was Dan. So yeah. I love <laughs> me Gore. That's cool. I'm Yeah, the, um, um, uh,
2: yeah, the, I think the, the, the development of the character of Jerry throughout the series was really great. And what you brought to it to, um, the whole, uh, how they, I, they, they made fun of you a lot, but it didn't seem to change the character at all or anything or make him
1: mean or anything, which was great. Yeah. Mike Shore said, if we're going to keep doing this, you know, with this character, because once they realize that's who Jerry was, Mike tells the funniest stories, because he'll say, in the writer's room, he'd have to say, okay, no more Jerry jokes. Like, they were so easy to write. Like, yeah, slam Jerry, slam Jerry. And people were, you know, people were enjoying it, and we were the cast, we were enjoying it. Um, so he realized, if we wanted him to stay around, we've got to give him a reason to live. <laughs> and that's how it turns out. He said to me one day, he goes, we're thinking of giving you like a supermodel wife, like a Christie Brinkley. I'm like, lying. <laughs> what? And then as it turns out, they got me Christie Brinkley. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of times you'll make a list of pie in the sky that you yeah. think you'll, you'll put it out there. You'll never get it. They got her. <laughs> and they only got her. That's her daughter was obsessed with the show and she begged her to do it. And of crazy. But, um, and so they gave Jerry the best home life of anybody. I mean, Jerry really, as much as he, you know, was put upon, I guess the shlemiel shlemazel, as Ron would say of the office, uh, he had a great life and he knew what was important. He knew his family came first as much as I think Jerry loves everybody in that parks department. He knows that he knows who he is to them, but they also had his back when it counted. And so, um, I think Jerry had the best of everything. And let's face it, a huge penis. Yes. So he really, <laughs> had, it. He really had it all.
2: <laughs> um, have you uh, been working on anything since COVID happened at all? Like been on
1: any sets or anything since? Well, right before COVID hit, I was doing the so-called Bless This Mess on ABC. Mm-hmm. Um, Lake Dak Shepherd, Pam yeah. Greer. Uh, just great cast. Having so much fun. And then we wrapped in, um, I think we, I feel like we wrapped the first week of March, maybe the end of February, I'm not really sure. And then the world kind of blew up, but we did have a wrap party. We like, we wrapped on a a Friday, I think the wrap party was Saturday. And then I feel like the next week, the whole world imploded. Um, And then we were under the impression, but I've been around long enough to believe nothing until it's something that bless this message to come back and it got canceled and we were pretty surprised, but yeah, welcome to showbiz. So as far as that goes, but I was also lucky. Um, I had booked a pilot that was going to shoot in Denver and obviously that that blew up, but they rewrote my character so that I was always on a FaceTime phone call with the other characters. So we shot it at my house Oh, no. Nice. Uh, they send equipment. Uh, they were on Zoom. You know, just like when we shot the park special. Yeah. They're on Zoom. They send you the equipment, the lighting, the, the rig. They t- you talk you through it. They direct you. They do the whole thing. So I was able to do a pilot, and I've done two films, again, from my house. And then I did a, a big thing for the Peacock. Uh, Parks of Rec recently left Netflix. Yes. And now we're on Peacock. And so a bunch of us were doing stuff to promote it. and Anyway, so they sent cameras and it's wild. There's yeah. a lot of rules to follow. And like they set yeah. up the rig outside that I had to leave the room while the guys came in and set it up. And then they had to wipe it down, even though they had just wiped it down because they have all these rules, um, which is fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for it if that's how they want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's better to be safe than sorry. Better say the sorry. And I, um, I've been, so yeah, I've had some stuff going on, which has been great. Things are coming back. Yeah. Uh, I have had friends who started up again and then have already shut down because a cast member or a crew member tested positive. So it all shuts down again. Uh, Pratt was lucky because he was doing Jurassic Park. But you know, that's a billion dollar franchise. Yeah. So they were able to fly everybody private over to um, London. They all quarantined for two weeks. I mean, everybody. Yeah. Every so when they started back, it was a clean slate. So they were able to shoot a lot. But then he was saying they had to. They were going to some island or something. But it turns out the island there was an infection. Anyway, it screwed up a lot of people, yeah, to say the least. But it is starting to come back. But it's not. It's Mm -hmm. not fully back by any stretch of the imagination.
2: Speaking of uh, Chris Pratt, did you ever imagine he would become such a huge star?
1: Wow, I can't say I'm after this bit. I mean, he's yeah. you know one of the biggest <laughs> stars in the world. So no, I, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't have thought that about anybody that I know. Yeah, um, but to be with him and to know how kind and funny, off the cuff funny he is. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense but I know a lot of people like that and they don't become one of the biggest yeah. stars in the world. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know, but I will also tell you this when he got the gig, especially the one, cause he was having stuff happen before guardians, you know, he did zero dark 30 and money. Yeah. And, stuff. and, um, that's the other thing about parks that I knew how special it was. There was no like jealousy. Like I remember yeah. when he, when he told Nick and I that he got, um, guardians, I had tears in my eyes. like, this is our boy. This yeah. is our boy, Chris Pratt, you know, like <laughs> he's the Guardian of the Galaxy, whether it was going to be a success or not. Who knew? I mean, yeah, obviously it is. But I just think yeah. and then I'll never forget. So we all went to the premiere of the Guardians movie. this first one. It was at the, um, oh God, what's it called now? It was, is it Kodak Center now where they do the Oscars? I think. Wherever, wherever it was, Some, I don't know. Pol- Polaroid or something, I think. They, 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 they named it winner, yeah. here for a while, they whatever it, the hell. It's where they the Oscars in Hollywood. Yeah. And so we're all there and it was awesome. And before the film, they introduced the cast. And so, you know, you're introduced in kind of order of importance, you know, for a big feature like that. So this person, that person, this person, that person, this person, that and like And all of a sudden, then they do Glenn Close. And then Chris Pratt. And I like, go I got better feeling than Glenn Close. Oh my God. You know, like, it, was just crazy. it was just crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Surprise just because that's like such one in a million. Yeah. So yes, for that surprise, but for his talent, not a bit surprised. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've been a fan of his since uh, he was on Everwood back in
1: the day. So nah. I, yeah. <laughs> I know he's he's got yeah. some great stories. Oh my god. I won't repeat them, it, it's not my business, but he's yeah. got some great everyone's stories. <laughs> yeah. Um so um what uh
2: as far as like um uh, movies go, what uh what's been your like favorite like film to do that you've
1: done? Well, this one because it was so personal. Right after Parks, I did a film called um a middleman. Now the reason it was so personal is because it was written for me. Oh wow. It doesn't get more personal than that. And it was written by one of my best friends who I did comedy with in Chicago, who was part of Stumpy's Gang, the show I brought to L.A. (laughs) Um, He's a big guy in the ad business. And he had written this. What I loved about it was, um, for better or for worse, you're going to get labeled in Hollywood. You're just going to get labeled. I'm the big funny guy. And you know what? This paid my bills for a lot of years. So I'm okay with it. I love doing comedy. Big comedy is, I love it. But I am an actor, and I love doing drama, and I love doing horror. I mean, there's other things I want to do. yeah. Uh, and it's tough to break through, but I've had a, you know, a few things that have happened over the years where I've gotten to do this dramatic thing or that, and it's always done well. And I think, oh, okay, the door is open now. And somehow, it always comes back to the big funny guy. And again, I'm not against that, but you do want to do more. So that brings me this script years ago. And it was great. And so he says to me after, you know, Parks is getting ready to shut, you know, we knew we were going to close. The way it closed was NBC said to Amy, this is your call. We'll keep going or whatever you whatever you want to do. And Amy had always said, I want seven years if we can get it. And so I think she was right. She didn't want people going, oh, is that still on? Yeah. She wanted people going, oh, my God, they're leaving. And I think we nailed it. I really I mean, I would have done it forever, of course, because I loved every second of it. But I think it was—I think it was done at the right time. So, Ned sends me the script, and he goes, "Why don't we do this?" I Go, dude. Number one, uh, I'm now—I feel 20 years too old for this script. years <laughs> ago. He goes, "That's just a matter of a few rewrites." So, uh, and the premise is the characters Jerry-esque at the beginning, but then a mental breakdown comes into play because he makes one terrible, terrible mistake by picking up a hitchhiker, who it turns out is a mass murderer. And anyway, one thing leads to another. It's a very, very dark film. Funny at times, horrifying at times. Um, So he got a call from these producers who had worked with Disney, and they said, if you can get Jim attached, we'll do it. Or for some. And so we had this meeting. And I'm still thinking it's not really going to happen, but we crowdfunded. We raised $150,000 in 30 days. Um, And then, you know, the money that was put in from producers. So we had not a great budget, but a decent budget. Yeah. But it was shot mostly in the desert. It was living hell, <laughs> but it was, you know, I was in every scene. I think there were two or three scenes I wasn't in. So, uh, I felt like I had the weight of the world on me, but also I wanted that because it was time to prove myself. Yeah. You know, it's more than just the big funny guy. Um, and we had actors who loved the script so much—great actors. And one, uh, uh, Andy uh, Andrew J. Hawks from—he was on oh, God, a couple seasons at the end of um, Once Upon a Time, that ABC show. And oh yeah, Annie Dudek from Mad Men. I mean, it was. Tracy Walters. I mean, the cast was incredible. And they all worked for $125 a day, which wow. was the SAG minimum because they loved the script so much. That's cool. So we started shooting and it was a rough shoot. It was a very rough shoot just because of locations. Uh, we did go to Vegas for some stuff. We got to shoot on the strip, hanging out of cars. So that was some fun <laughs> stuff. But uh, normally 110 degrees and my fat ass sweating like a dog. Uh, it was great. I had blood soaked on me half the time. Uh, but it was awesome. And then, you know, it came out and we ended up winning the first, uh, the first thing we went to was the, I think it was Portland. It could be Seattle. I forget Was maybe Seattle film festival. And I was actually shooting a film in Chicago. So I left Chicago to go there to just be at the screening. Cause they, you know, you know, yeah, put the face that, you know, a familiar face. So I get a call, I flew, I stay, spend the day, in the middle of the screening, I leave, go back to the airport, fly back to Chicago, because I have to shoot at Wrigley the next day, at Wrigley Field, and I get a call from one of the producers, and he said, uh, we won. I said, won what? He goes, I'm not sure, but people seem really excited. He goes, hold on. And then, <laughs> he goes, what did we win? He goes, I think everything. I go, what are you talking Anyway, we won the big prize. Nice. So. I flew back to Seattle so I could be there for the award ceremony. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the movie did—I um, couldn't be prouder of it. And and critically, it was—you know—people seemed to be happy with what I did. And blah 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 blah. Because you never know, you know. And it's because it's so dark, I, I could see some people going, "Oh no no no, I can't see him doing this." And no, he's Jerry. And but, but that didn't happen because you know there's always that fear as an actor—you're going to be labeled a character like Bob Denver who played Gilligan oh, yeah. always said I couldn't break away. Couldn't yeah. break away. Um, yeah. Thankfully that's not been the case. I've been on <clears throat> many things since parts. parts. Uh, so I'm grateful because that would, that would be tough. But then I also think, you know, Jerry will probably, unless some other role comes along that changes all that Jerry will be what I'm known for. Yeah. And I could not be prouder that that's, that's okay. That's okay but I'm glad it didn't stop me from getting other work that would not that would not be is uh is there anywhere you can find that movie the middleman oh uh it used to be all over netflix i don't think it's there i believe it might be on youtube oh okay i'm not 100% sure it's called middleman yeah uh and it's i think it's worth checking out yeah cuz it, it sounds it sounds up my alley um yeah i feel yeah. proud of
2: it. yeah i have to watch that um, yeah cuz i've sounds kind of slightly dark and everything that's kind of what i tend to do when i I'm, I'm a independent filmmaker myself so i tend to
1: try to okay go in there you
2: will you'll appreciate it let
1: me know what you think after you see it you'll appreciate sure. it. yeah yeah
2: anything else you wanted to say before we uh before we leave here today
1: um i don't know when this will be out there but uh vote yeah please please vote <laughs> I and mean, i'm not going to tell you who to vote for it's very obvious who i'm voting for i will tell you i'm voting for yeah five. So, you know, but I'm not telling people to do that. I can't, I, I'm not that presumptuous, but I will say every vote matters. So that's, I can just beg people to please, please vote and don't anybody get complacent. Um, my fear with what's happening now is I'm seeing every poll is showing that Biden can't lose. Well, you yeah. know what? I read those polls four years ago yeah, they and those same polls thing. did not pan out. Same thing. So, uh, <laughs> To me, the polls, they they lift my spirits. They make me feel better. But I know they're not the be all end all. We've got to get everybody out there. If you got to get your neighbor, pick up your neighbor. If you got it, whatever you got to do. And again, you can vote for the other guy. I don't know how, but you can. I'm not telling you (laughs) you can't. I'm just saying, let your vote be counted. We are in a country that gets to vote. What a gift. What an honor. So to not do it, I've never understood. I mean it's sad so like where there's like about half the country that doesn't vote sometimes. And doesn't voting. vote. And yeah. and I'm um I've been a registered independent. Well yeah, I think since I've registered. So I'm not even a party guy. No. Um, but I can tell you for the first time in my life, when I vote on November third, I am voting a party. I've never done that. Never yeah. I vote individually. But because of what I've seen them do in the past four years and what they've allowed him to do, mm-hmm. sorry, no. I can't uh, can't 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 stick around. Can't stick around for that. So normally voting takes me a while because I go in with my sheet of paper because I looked up to this. Now no no no, Democrat. Boom. And I hope in four years from now I get to go back to my old routine where I'm you know basing it on individual and what they believe. Yeah. In. Not. That. Yeah. The the major thing I find uh,
2: so uh, I don't know disheartening about this country is the fact that we do have a two party system where. It's just people fighting. It's like they, they treat it like a football game as opposed to. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to. It, like, isn't that. A shame? Yeah. Because it should be. Caring about the people of the country and not, yes. not, not if I'm going to win or
1: lose. And the in the lie and, and the thing that you need yeah. to go on and out try right not to. you listen to a man who has it's on paper that he's lied over twenty five thousand times lied to us, uh-huh. admitted on tape. He downplayed a pandemic. Downplayed a pandemic, he should have up played it. He should have scared us. Yeah, this would be over had we been scared. People weren't scared, so it's okay. No, no. Oh, a mask? That's ridiculous. It's a hoax. I don't need a mask. Okay, there you go. Chris Christie, seven days in the ICU because mm-hmm. that dumbass went to the White House. Yeah, yeah craziness. Herman Kane died. So yeah, you know Herman right? died. Yeah. Yes. You're right. Herman yeah. Kane
2: died of a hoax Yeah. But anyways,
1: uh, um yeah. so that's it. My last words are go vote.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for your time. This was uh this was a pleasure. Um hope to talk to you again sometime. If you ever have anything you want to talk about, let me know. Thanks, Mike. This was a lot of fun. Check out Middleman. I will for sure. You have a good Thanks. night. Thanks.
1: You too. Bye bye.
2: Okay, that was me talking to Jim O'Hare yeah. um, about everything from Parks and Rec to his start at Second City and uh, a bunch of other things. Um, that was a pretty cool interview. Um, and as Jim says, make sure you get out there and vote, people. It's important. Doesn't matter who you. Yeah, doesn't really matter who you vote for, I guess. But well, it does. It well, does to well, uh, me. But I'm just saying, <laughs> you have this right. We we, we as yeah. Americans have the right to vote, and yes. you know, should we should do
0: it. <laughs> you you should. Yes. See, it, it does it does matter who you vote for, but. It's it's even if you vote for the wrong person, yeah. Uh, you know, you you should at least care that you actually do have the right to vote for the wrong person in a fledgling democracy. Yes, uh, I mean in a, in a fragile in a fragile state. As um, people who study uh, international uh, relations, call it. But um, but yeah. So um, you should really you should really um not take um for granted that um you'll be able to do that. Um, you you <laughs> do have the right to be on the wrong side of history. Yeah, um,
2: right now. But but. Uh, <laughs> But the thing is, really, if you vote for the wrong person, you might not have that right anymore. Yes. But also, um <laughs> also,, um, I'm not gonna say who I'm voting for. right,
0: Me either. No, I'm just gonna say I mean, who I'm not voting for. Yes, yes. And- I mean, hell, I might, I might write in Andrew Yang at this point who, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to, but yes. you know, um, I, 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 I loved his can- his, his campaign. And I, I read his book, uh, the war on normal people. And I, I, I was like, this guy makes a lot of sense. I like this guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean,
2: honestly, I might, I might write in Jim O'Hare. No, wait, you probably shouldn't do <laughs> there that. There you go. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the only person, but it'll be okay. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe not, because um, honestly, we've had a uh, we've had an actor in office before, and we've had a game show host in office for the last four years. So, <laughs> it's all good, you know.
0: It's all good. Um, so, so basically, you
2: know. what I'm saying is, Kanye, 2020. Oh wait, no, I'm
0: not. Uh, well, oh, <laughs> I mean, that kind of that kind of <laughs> surprised me there. Uh, <laughs> um, Kanye, um, you know, needs to take his his medicine. Um uh-huh. <clears throat> And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of these people that uses mental illness as a joke or to insult. someone. No. But he's serious. You he have a sickness. He has a sickness, and he needs to uh take care of himself instead of just wishing that he doesn't have an illness and just living the life he wants to live and destroying himself and everyone around him (laughs) yeah and uh i'm
2: just gonna say let's dump trump and beyond that um wait did i say that out loud um yes i did uh oh so um
0: (laughs) so i don't want to get political or anything here matt wait oh no of course not no it's not like we ever do that on any of our episodes when we're not even talking about politics we're talking about like honey we shrunk ourselves and somehow yeah political rat finds its way into that and then...
2: yes that's what we do here but um i guess that's appropriate because jim o'hare was on a tv show about um politics you know parks and recreation was pretty much about politics
0: so it was literally about politics yes, yes.
2: um <laughs> And, it, and if, if only we had real people like Leslie Nope in, um, office and maybe the world would be a better place.
0: Yeah. Someone who cares that much about her, her little post, you know, mm-hmm. in a small town, you know, it's like, it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but it means a whole lot to her and her small town and she's going to do it, the job exactly. As it's the way it's supposed to be. And it is. It's a, she's a very great role model for that kind of thing.
2: Yes, she is. And uh, Jerry became the mayor at the end of that thing, too.
0: So, you know,
2: <laughs> Jim O'Hare does have uh, political experience.
0: So, yeah. So there you go. So there so we go. He, play, he played a mayor at, on a TV show. And yes. At, at the, albeit at the end of the TV series. But, yes. um, hey, so that, hey, I mean, that's what. Trump became a millionaire by convincing people that he was a millionaire and being a great businessman. And then that TV show actually made him a millionaire. So why not? You know, why not? Why not have illusion become reality? So yes. Delusions of
2: grandeur 2020.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, we're going to have so many alt-right people downvoting this video.
2: That's fine. (laughs) That's fine. <laughs> at least they'll listen. yeah, so anyways, seriously though folks, get out there, vote, do your civic duty. you know, if you're listening in another country where the American election doesn't affect you, um I am jealous and um <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
2: and but but you should probably go out and vote in your country too when you have your elections. So it's probably not a a bad thing to do. If you live in a democracy where they allow you to vote, do it. Um, Also, uh, check out some of the links that we have in uh, the show notes to help out people during COVID and help people out with Black Lives Matter and things of that nature. Um, It's very important, you know, that we just respect one another, love one another, and uh, do good people,
0: you know? Do good and uh, understand uh, history and stuff like that. And uh,
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. And just just saying, just understand history a little bit. It's not hard. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And also watch Jim O'Hare's
2: movie Middleman. Yeah, because it looks good. I have yet to see it, but I'm planning Mm -hmm. to watch it very soon. So anyways,
0: for now. I have been Michael E. Cullen the second. And oh, and I have been Matthew uh what am I gonna say this time? Matthew Tums has I got a bottle of Tums in front of me, so that's why I said it. Okay. Um I'll call you Tums. I don't have heartburn. I, I I just saw the bottle in front of me, so Well first you have a have to have to have a heart. Oh, just joking. Oh my god. I
2: don't oh oh god <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, I've been burned. all right anyways everybody bye bye
0: thanks for listening to all too real two podcast a cullen park production produced and edited by michael e cullen ii music by matthew haas subscribe and share the show visit us at cullenpark.com